All right. Hey, Jay. How are oh, you? What's going on? Yeah, not too much. Back again. Fancy meeting you here for yeah. uh, <laughs> another episode of Teacher Talk with Paul and Jay. Uh, it's good to be back with you. It's good to have uh, listeners out there uh, listening um, uh, to the show. We're making our way through uh, the Odyssey. A uh, great, great little book to teach. And uh, if you've been teaching the Odyssey or thinking about teaching uh, the Odyssey, take a look at our, our our videos on this and on our discussions of each book. We try to walk through them carefully, giving an overview, and then also pulling out uh, what what stands out in each chapter. And hopefully, those are the kinds of things that um, you can use uh, as a guide, as little uh, flags in the sand as you make your way uh, through this uh, this winding winding book full of. As we've said many times, twists and turns. It's what? Twists and turns. Twists and turns. Yes. Yeah. yeah full of twists and turns. Well, um, before we jump in uh, to book seven, uh, to book seven's gar- uh, Gardens and Firelight, as it's titled in the translation I'm using, which is the Robert Fitzgerald uh, translation, um, we need a poem. Jay. Yeah, I was thinking, I teach Pride and Prejudice every year to my seniors, and it's one of it's become one of my favorite times of year. Oh. Pride and Prejudice has two of the cringiest proposal scenes in the history of literature. We have a whole really? class. Oh, all of my awkward teenage boys take such delight in seeing adult men be awkward. <laughs> and we have a whole class that centers on which proposal is cringier. And we have okay. fights. There's arguments okay. and almost fisticuffs. This is well, great. In this chapter, we don't have a proposal scene, we have a father incredibly abruptly offering his daughter to a grizzled stranger. (laughs) That is correct. (laughs) As fathers of daughters, I would just like to say, this is not how Paul and I roll. But anyway, well, but then again, Paul, Odysseus has not washed up on a nearby beach. Who knows how appealing he would be, but. Yeah, that's true. Apparently he's an overwhelming guy. And I mean, his name's on the cover, basically. Yeah. Yeah, so, he's got a whole book. Well, that's true. Book. It, might, it might be different. Uh, it is wild. That is a wild scene. I remember the scene you're talking about. Yeah, it's cuckoo. So, uh, and very abrupt. Like, it comes mm-hmm. sort of out of nowhere. But anyway, um, there's this poem by a man named Richard Jones, who has a book called, if I remember correctly, um, The Correct Spelling and Exact Meaning. And the poem is simply called The Apple. And I really like it. And not just because I'm a father of a daughter. I just really like how this poem's built. So this is The Apple by Richard Jones. I pair an apple for my little girl, stunning as usual, in a shimmering Cinderella gown. I cut seven shining crescent moons to array and serve on a deep blue plate and recall the skill needed to cut and remove the hide of a white-tailed Dear, before Sarah was born, before mm-hmm. I imagined her in my life or how life would change, I met in rural Wisconsin an insurance adjuster. His hobby was taxidermy. Headless carcasses waiting to be skinned and butchered hung from pulley ropes in the trees. I visited the taxidermist with my carpenter friend. We borrowed a pulley and winch to hoist a plate glass window to the second story of an old house we were renovating. It was brilliant, sparkling autumn, deer season. Gunshots and church bells rang in the distance. What I recall most vividly is the teenage girl who lived in the house 
next door to the taxidermist. Barefoot in a sunlit Sunday dress, maple leaves swirling on the lawn, she danced, pale and long-limbed, practicing baton twirls, throwing the metal bar high in the air, catching it with a curtsy. Enchanted, I steadied myself against my friend's truck, watching the silver baton spinning crosses in the air. I remember that as if it were yesterday. That and the cold stare the girl's father gave me as he stood on the porch, knife in hand, <laughs> paring an apple. <laughs> right? The apple by, by Richard <laughs> Jones. Yeah. You gotta love well, the full circleness. You gotta love. Why that. did you? Now why did you choose that poem, Jay? Because <laughs> this guy, whoever this nameless guy is, is, yeah. is the, the complete bipolar opposite of Al Sinuous, who's just handing his fifteen-year-old <laughs> or however old daughter to the stranger. So, oh my gosh, that it's is... my favorite father-daughter poem. Maybe that says something about me. That is a wonderful poem. <laughs> that is a wonderful poem. It has yeah. so much in it. I love it. I love that. Yeah. Uh, I, I love it. He's opening up, paring an apple for his own daughter and yeah. thinking back. And now it's different. Now that she's on the other foot, he has his yeah. own daughter. Love it. And the, the fullness of life experience in that, too. This taxidermy and carpentry right. and renovation. And, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Dressing a deer, prepping a deer. Yep. It's, oh, that's amazing. All I right. Thought, I, I, I have a niche to read that on the podcast. So <laughs> this is perfect. Yeah. So, uh, Nausicaa is the girl with the baton twirling <laughs> in the air. <laughs> it, yeah, that's right. Palace. Yeah. That's right. You can kind of picture that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So we usually start these conversations with a little summary. We're at a weird stage in the epic, right? The, most yeah. famous parts of the epic kind of haven't happened yet. There's a lot of setup kind of feeling, but I think, and you and I have talked about this, a reason to teach this entire poem is these chapters that are so easy to skim over. You and I have said for years, anytime you're reading a great book and you're tempted to skim, go slower. Yeah. You know, there is yeah. meat here. And uh, yes. yeah. so we'll summarize it quickly. And then uh, Paul and I will share a moment we think is really important yeah. and then a surprising moment and then maybe sort of a lingering question we have but i'm actually well, really interested in a lot of stuff in book seven well i know and it's weird and it's how it feels to me is like in those movies that you watch that end up not being really good movies because the director and whoever else have not paid attention to the details mm. they didn't really quite get the clothing right you know, they didn't, they didn't really work on the language, making sure it was dated correctly. Yep. They didn't shoot it exactly right. And they didn't pay a lot of money for the music. You know, those little things were the cutting corners. That's what skipping chapters like this feels like to me. Yes. You look at it and you're like, all right, look, we shot the movie. We got the plot. We got the actors. Everything right, happens. Right. You know, what else do you need? I don't know. Right. The audience doesn't believe it. You're not going to be drawn yep. into the, into the, you know, into the magic or the mystery of it. Yeah. And in this, to some degree, I think there's more here than that, but there is at least that this is the sharp edges. This is the, the Coen brothers style movie shooting where no yeah. detail is too small uh, yep. to get correct. Yeah. That's and fair. So it feels, it feels kind of like that, but yeah, open it up, Jay. What, um, what happens here in short? So a couple of things. So, mm -hmm. 
since the Trojan War, by several counts that I've read, Odysseus, this is the 14th place he's landing. So when we mm-hmm. think of Odysseus's development as a character, and we think of um, Tennyson's great line from the poem Ulysses, I am a part of all that I have met. Well, he's met an incredibly eclectic group of natural and supernatural and monstrous characters. The other thing is this chapter is largely about the community he's about to entrust his story to. A king and a queen and a princess and a people. So I'll I'll talk about this in my obvious point, but anytime we enter a new space, a new workplace, a new neighborhood, a new country maybe, we kind of have to read like, okay, how much of me can I be here? How do conversations move? So I think those are important conversations to have with a reading group or a class, you know? But anyway, after book six, book seven opens. Now Sicker returns home. Um, Odysseus walks into town with Athena, um, who's in disguise as a little girl. And Athena hides Odysseus in mist. And it's really important to remember that we, we know that mist is often used in the Iliad when gods want to protect mortals. So mist is a little clue. And I'm going to talk about that a little later, but um, Athena in, gives him instructions and Odysseus approaches the queen, Arete. The mist is lifted. Now, I, I always say to students, imagine you're just like hanging out, having dinner and a random dude just appears. Um, that's what happens. It almost, you probably remember like Super Friends saturday morning cartoons and you had like wonder woman's invisible plane that you could see the outline of and it wasn't invisible but (laughs) that's a deep cut Uh, i'm appealing to like a very narrow demographic with that illusion but i do remember that and the uh her little uh her little sparkling uh, lasso rope you know on her waist belt yeah yeah so he supplicates he grabs her ankles begs you know her mercy and everything i'll send him some food and wine and um even though Odysseus really just on paper would be that this would be horrifying. Like if you're just a random group of people chilling and all of a sudden this guy appears like a mist is lifted and this dude is there. <laughs> Despite that, Ariti the queen is calm, just like Nausicaa was on the beach, actually. Maybe that's where she gets it. Hmm. Notices that Odysseus is wearing clothes that she herself has made. Um, so Odysseus kind of talks his way out of that. Odysseus is given a meal and a comfortable a comfortable place to stay the night. I mean, that's like a super superficial sketch of book seven, but it's largely about this person who's sort of magically guided. He appears and it's about the context in which he finds himself. Yeah. Okay. And that's, and that's, um, that's the bulk of, of the plot of like the things that happen. So there's not a ton there, right? Overall. Right. Okay. All right. But uh, that being said, um, the setting for this is um, is outstanding. Mm. There's uh, there's something over the top about about the setting, which is I want to end with my my final question is about um, is about this place that seems almost too perfect, uh, utopian like um, place that he's landed. So maybe we'll pick that up. Uh, we'll pick that up at the end. Um, but uh, I'd like to open up with um, maybe the most important quote or key key quote key, key place uh in this story and yeah. i think it i think it does have to do um with arete arete however you say her name um 
which is uh, the Greek word for excellence, yeah. virtue, right? She's um, she's excellent at um, at all things, excellent in excellence in character. Um, and it's in that scene and uh, where she first speaks, I think, where she first speaks to Odysseus in the um, in the uh, Fitzgerald translations. It's um, it's on page one eighteen. It's line two fifty five, where the great tactician carefully replied. So here's a key moment um, in the plot, and it's uh, it's almost funny in a in a way. It would be fun to film this. Speaking of movies, um, after Odysseus throws himself at uh, her feet, makes supplication um, uh, to her, and uh, the king, you know, the king talks. Uh, um, Arete looks at. Um, looks at Odysseus and says, friend, I, for one, have certain questions for you. Yeah. Who are you? And who has given you this clothing? Did you not say that you wandered here by sea? Mm -hmm. And the lines before that, um, the narrator tells us uh, that the ivory-skinned lady, uh, that's Arate, I guess the woman, I always took that to mean, you know, and this is something I haven't looked up, but I took that to mean the people who are wealthy enough to be able to stay inside. Not I think if you stay outside in the sun working, yeah. um, your skin is is not it's not ivory skin. Absolutely. It's dirty. It's burned by the sun. Yeah. So the ivory skinned lady uh, turned to him for she knew his cloak and tunic to be her own work. So Arate looks at this man who says he washed the floor, and uh, she says to him, "Hey, where'd you get that really nice tunic?" Um, at so she knows there's some kind of story there, and this is and this is a key moment uh, for Odysseus because everything turns everything turns on on his response, on the uh, the, the cleverness uh, of, of his response, and the great tactician carefully replied, and then he uh, and and then he replies and speaks. But I think this is a, a sort of a key a key moment in the story where we see the generosity of Nausicaa's mother um, to not come out and make any accusations, no hasty accusations, even though she sees a stranger walking around in her clothing, you know, curious. Um, also we see, uh, we begin to see again, how Odysseus is, is a great tactician, how he is skilled in all ways of contending. It's not just sword fight. It's not just pugilistic. It's also being able to explain what he's doing in the queen's clothing. Uh, which super awkward could have been um, uh, could have been disastrous, and he didn't. And if he didn't pull this off nicely, um, he might not have gotten a ride home, and he may have gotten a lot worse. So I sort of like this moment in this chapter. It's a mm -hmm. it's a key moment to think about. Um, you get a good picture of where a person like Nausicaa comes from. Listen to yeah. her mother, um, yeah. and then you get a good sense of uh, some of what's distinctive and uh, capable uh, about about Odysseus. Yeah. So I like that moment. Yeah. Uh, what, like yeah. What, what, what do you like as kind of an important uh, moment in this, in this chapter, Jay? Well, I'm going to cheat and say that I'm going to notice a tension between two things. Okay. <laughs> no, I just find that the heartbeat of this, there's a really great, I'm going to just digress for a moment. Mm. Paul, if you need, and anybody else listening, yeah, you love, the arts, if you love great literature, if you love theater, there's a series called Playing Shakespeare. Okay. And it's from the late 70s, early 80s. And it's the Royal Shakespeare Company directed by its founder, John Barton. And it it's a series of like 50 minute Shakespeare workshops. 
The Royal Shakespeare Company at the time had no names like Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen, Judy Dench, like, like <laughs> Michael Cunningham, like barely, barely getting by. Barely getting by. It's yeah. breathtaking. So you'll have like Bill Workshop, just a speech and a scene. And, but there's a moment where, and I forget which actor it is. It, it may have been Patrick Stewart asking, my character is thinking this, but also thinking this, which one should I play? And John Barton, the director says, play the tension. Shakespeare never gives you an easy out, play the tension. And I think the tension in book seven is fascinating to me. And the tension is what it's like being Odysseus at this place that has both amazing harmony and also it's a place of clear and present danger for Odysseus, as you just alluded to in your reflection. He says the wrong thing. He's dead, Paul. Let's be clear. Yeah, right. Right. They don't have to be nice to him. They're not reading... I always have to remind the students, like, these people aren't reading the Odyssey. He's just a person, you know? Yeah. He's yeah, just a yeah. So who, here they, are, who they seem to have heard of, we'll find out later, but they don't know him. You know, they don't know who he is now. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, No, 100%. I'm not mm. going to read a lot, but, yeah. um, you know, it. what's interesting is, so here are some moments that this chapter takes great pains to show the harmony in Phaeacia, where the in uh, Sharia, where the Phaeacians live. Yes, yes. So, um, we have Alcinous, whose name means mighty mind, right? And Ariti, whose name is excellence. So, like <laughs> the name of the king and queen suggests you couldn't do better than this community, right? And then the stability and wealth of the kingdom is made clear by such details as. The silver and golden dogs, the statues outside yes. the kingdom, were yes. created by Hephaestus himself, the great smith of the gods. Yes. Um, the king also has 50 slaves, which is a sign of wealth and stability, mm-hmm. frankly. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. also um, a passage really reflecting on like the natural environment and the fecundity and the productivity of like the olive trees and the fruit. Oh, um, right. There's extreme zinnia or hospitality. So, there's a moment yeah. on line 170 in, in my translation. This is short. Um, Alcinous reached for Odysseus's hand and raised the many-minded hero from the ashes. Yeah. He made Laodamus, his favorite son, vacate his chair so he could sit behind beside him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know how my son would take this, but this is <laughs> in effect, at least figuratively, adopting a man he met minutes ago. Yes. It reminds right. me. And there's a few things in this chapter that remind me of Beowulf. There's no sign that the, the authors of Beowulf had access to stuff like the Odyssey, but maybe right. there's something innately human in a story like this, that yeah. Hothgar adopts Beowulf as his own son, if you remember. That's and, right. And that happens, that happens here. So it isn't simply, I'm going to give you a sandwich and send you on your way. That kind of hospitality, it's extreme Zania. Um, Alcinous plans a banquet. Alcinous acknowledges the power of the gods with hecatombs, the sacrifice of a hundred bulls. That's right. And also the power of the fates is a power that even transcends the God. He acknowledges that. Yeah, then, that's right. On, on line 323, these are all little tiny things. I don't want to go on and on, but he said, No, no, it's good. This, is, this connects to, to, to our poem. The king replied <laughs> to, to Odysseus, my heart is not the type to feel anger for no reason. Moderation mm-hmm. is always best. And then he does this. Athena, Zeus, Apollo, what a congenial man you are. I wish you would stay here and marry my own daughter and be my son. I'd give you a home and wealth if you would like to stay. Everywhere Odysseus, it matters that this is a paradisal environment. It matters that Mm. Ojigia and Aia are Edenic environments. And it matters Mm. that there's women there that love him and want to be with him. 
because all of these are extremely real temptations to potentially obstruct him for his main mission, which is to get home. Yes. Um, if they yes. were neutral environments, if they were like, you know, Peabody, Massachusetts, where I live, which is nice, but it's not these places. Not super <laughs> tempting. There's good Greek food here, so maybe he'd be tempted. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah, here and there. Yeah, here I've got that line. That's a great passage. I've got that. If you're in the Fitzgerald translation, it's lines 330 and following. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, it's shocking. It comes out of, it comes out of nowhere. And I thought, I, I don't know exactly how to read it, um, but uh, the lines that he says, my daughter should be yours and you should be my son-in-law. He says, yeah. since we're of the same mind. And so yeah. I don't know which he's more interested in, just having him right. there as his own son-in-law or yeah. giving his daughter to him. Um, maybe it's just to have have his a like-minded friend there. You know? Yeah. Cool. And the, so there's one more moment of harmony before I get yeah. to a couple of moments of sort of danger. And it's the end of the chapter. I'm fat. Dickens does this as well. You have like this amazing kaleidoscopic chapter in novels like Our Mutual Friend and Bleak House. But then yeah. there's a chapter of Bleak House that ends with a boy going into a street. And it, it refers to that as the character's name is Joe. And he goes into a London street like a dew drop in the ocean. Uh-huh. <laughs> which I mean, it's Dickens. You get those moments where like no one else can write sentences like that. Well, here you have this beautiful domestic moment. You might remember we talked about book one, which literally was in Mount Olympus and earth and different places, but it ends with what Telemachus getting tucked in. He's big yeah. on these small, intimate endings. Mm. Mm. So here it's uh, Odysseus was glad to go to sleep after his long adventures on that bed, surrounded by the rustling of the porch. Alcinous was sleeping in his room beside his wife who made their bed and shared it implying yeah. some women don't do that in the Odyssey, which we know is mm. true. So mm. we have all these moments of harmony, which should lead us to believe, well, what's the problem? Why do we care? What's the conflict? Because here's moments right. of danger. Um, the island is genetically linked to Odysseus's supernatural enemy, Poseidon. Alcinous is Poseidon's grandson. Right. So that's, you can't get more eggshelly than that. Odysseus is a grizzled war veteran who's probably in his 40s mm. um, in a strange land. That's inherently dangerous. There is no guarantee he's going to be cared for or will survive the day. If he says or does the wrong thing in the wrong moment, this is right. why Athena has to cover him in mist because there's no way he'd be able to wander into the palace and get to the next step. There's no way. Right. A uh, couple right. more. Odysseus needs... Athena's list of suggestions and the mist to survive, as I just said. And then I just discovered this because I, I knew that Ariti meant excellence. And then I looked yes. up uh, Alcinous's name, meaning great mind. You know what now Sika's name means? And I just looked this up. Burner of ships. <laughs> so, so I would love people's thoughts on the podcast. I would love people's right. thoughts in the comments here. That's but amazing. So, I never looked that up. Burner of ships. Yeah. I'm fascinated by what the names mean in the Odyssey because wow. they're almost always allegorical. And wow. I find it really interesting because women, if you think of Xerxes, Calypso, and now Sicca, yeah, I think they all have real feelings for him, but their danger is that they provide potential obstacles for him reuniting with his homeland and his wife and his son. And That's I think the name burner of ships is an incredibly suggestive name. That's how dangerous she is. If he stays with her, isn't it? The, the, tell me if this is a stretch. Yeah. She's essentially yeah. destroying his capacity to get home. I guess. I mean, I, I did not know that at all. I never looked her, I never looked her name up and never would have guessed that it was something like, like that. That's not a bad read, but it's an, it's an, it's an Odysseus 
centric read. Um, obviously, mm -hmm. she was named by her parents before Odysseus comes around. Yeah. Why would why would people who are named the men? The chapter tells us the men are known for um, for, for shipbuilding and their excellence in sailing sailing ships and moving them across the water. Uh, yeah. Women are, are, you know, I mean, that, that's their thing is that, uh, right. their port and their ships moving things across uh, the, the seas wide back. It's how he Why gets home Nausicaa? so fast later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fast and effortlessly. Why is Nausicaa um, the burner of ships? Well, I, I wonder, and this might be getting too much in the weeds. I've never had this conversation, so I appreciate it. Mm. Homer names her. Now, I know that's yeah. cheating. That's cheating, right? I mean, you yeah. want to think that the parents are looking down and go, oh, she looks like a burner of ships. Let's call her that. You know? <laughs> She's going to ruin our lives. <laughs> She's going to light some stuff on fire this one. We have to name her. Um, but I just found that really interesting. So anyway, I mention all this because what's interesting to me about book seven is yeah. we can, I think, and you're not doing this, but I think we could easily get trapped in these hmm. Edenic, beautiful, intoxicating environments. Yes. Where here, it isn't simply there's there's like wine and food. It's not a nice king and queen who want to take you into their house. It's a beautiful girl who, by the way, is like strong enough to not be scared by you. Yeah. Who wants yeah. to be with you and her father wants you to be wants you, know, you to be with her. Mm -hmm. um, that's incredibly dangerous. And then all the other like Poseidon related dangers and the stranger danger and all that stuff. <laughs> so it's a fascinating chapter in terms of tension, I think. It's dangerous. You keep saying dangerous. I think I know what you mean, but what do you mean? Well, Why do you say what dangerous? What I mean is like Zania is, I feel like the Iliad is a poem really centered on Kleos or glory and war heroism. Yeah. And I think this poem is largely about survival of an immigrant stranger, you know, person who lands in literally 14 different places. Yeah. Um, and the, the ethic of the ethic of the time from Zeus was you if a stranger shows up before you even ask who he is, you have to feed him, right. bathe him and let him sleep the night because he might be a god in disguise. I mean, so uh, the, the thing about Zania is there's no guarantee of it being given to you. So it's it's inherently dangerous. And we know this from Romeo and Juliet when you get banished. Yeah. It's worse than death. Well, it's no different here, frankly. You know, right, right. None of your people are there, and it's a danger for Odysseus because he what? I mean, one he miss if you misread the hospitality, it's meant to be hospitality. Um, how much do they? How much do they? I don't know. How much does does you know? Do, do they mean it? Do they mean for him to stay? It's an expression of hospitality, but yeah. I don't think you're necessarily supposed to stay. I don't know. You can misread it. Yeah. I would take in the bigger plot, though, that the danger for, for Odysseus is that he gets off mission. He, um, he yeah, forgets, yeah. you know, fair. which is, you know, which is what um, which is what Calypso wanted him to do, to forget, forget yeah. home and wife, uh, forget Penelope, forget mortality yeah. and, and, and stay with me. So it's a it's a danger in that sense, in that Odysseus loses himself. I mean, mm -hmm. he loses his his identity, he loses his, his right. whole world, his whole being, um, everything he is, which is which is what's precious in this story really um right so i think, I think that i think danger is the right word in that sense yeah no i think it's three things i think it's exactly what you're saying i think it's the possibility that any people you come across might not give you hospitality just that's right human beings yeah but it's also the poseidon link that once odysseus starts telling his story if he tells the whole thing 
they're going to know that his mortal enemy is the God that they're related to. So then, yeah. so then, we'll, yeah, um, which, yeah, I don't know. They do find out. Right. And oh, yeah, I mean, not to spoil it, but yeah. 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 And it's a funny part of this chapter. I, I would put it up there with, um, with just now finding out that Nausicaa's name being mean shipbuilder. I don't know why Odysseus finally gets his ride home, uh, from descendants, direct as descendants of right. Poseidon people who they say we're no further from the gods than, you know, than the right. Cyclops are. Right. Um, well, it so might I be don't... the case. I mean, I'm totally guessing here, Paul, but Zania is the virtue valued most by Zeus. Their names are connected. Yeah. Zeus trumps yeah. Poseidon. It may be. Yeah, I, it that's may. a total guess. I would love people's thoughts on this. Like, yeah, it would be helpful. And I'm sure scholars disagree. So it's not like we're going to come to some sort of mathematical yeah. certainty, but no, it's, no, no, it's no. really interesting. Um, the, the insecurity, even, I'm just thinking of like, and the Emily Wilson translation brings this out in really fresh ways. Later on, we did book 13 in class today. Um, okay. Any, yeah. I have some students whose parents came to the country in the last 10 or 15 years. Yeah. I have students, it was 200 years ago, but I don't know if, if you're landing in a new country, you're asking some questions and that they're not right. all comfortable. Right. Right. You know? So I think, I think this book kind of hints at some of the things that Odysseus is going to be wondering about later, but, yeah. um, anyway, that's, I'm going on and on, but that's, that, that tension, no, no, no. the tension between the overt, like you know, Edenic qualities of that country and the yeah. danger of being a new person there and being yeah. Odysseus there. Yeah. It's really interesting to me. And I think it makes you and I have talked about this. It makes chapters that you skip over like book seven chapters. You shouldn't skip over. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Uh, Cause the theme gets hit and rehit um, the, the, the character of the person gets built out in these, in these small interactions and, yeah. and it's, um, you know, it's, it's the details and the details are what make the difference between, you know, a strong anything and, um, yeah. and something that's weak, which, which I think we tell our, I tell my students this, um, all the time in various ways, pay attention, pay yeah. attention. You can say it at, you know, at, at every point, whatever you're doing, if you pay a little bit more close attention, you will find, you'll find more there. Pay mm -hmm. attention. The most valuable thing. That's what everybody on the internet is trying to steal from us. You know, yeah, it's what yeah. they're monetizing. They makes billion dollar companies out of our attention. And it's true. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's worth, it's worth an enormous amount and it's, and it's key to learning and breaking through. So paying attention in a chapter like this gives back. Um, and that's part of what I think you and I, Jay mean about a great book is that if you pay attention to it, and if you're in a room with 15, 20 students and you all pay attention to it, mm -hmm. it still gives back. It yeah. doesn't break. It doesn't break under the weight of all that intellectual firepower. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, you know, and, and I think that's what's going on here. Um, all right. I like that. I like, I like that. There is, uh, there is, there is serious tension for things to go off the rails. Um, Odysseus could be put to death for stealing, you know, the queen's clothing, I guess, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Or he could be drawn in uh, by a king and uh, his, his daughter Nausicaa, who are, who are great people, you know, they're, mm -hmm. they're literally, and that is their name. Um, uh, and, and, you know, and pulled off, uh, pulled off his mission. Um, surprising are we ready for a surprising quote yeah yeah um i got a small one it's almost a joke actually i think it's kind of a funny little uh, a funny little moment uh in this um and it's back at the same the same place where my key quote was when the great tactician carefully replies 
to Arate to tell her, uh, to answer her question. Um, tell me again how you got here and where'd you get that clothing? He says, Ah, Majesty, what labor it would be to go through the whole story! Exclamation point. Um, yeah, you know, that would be a lot of work. And, uh, but he says, but I can tell you the whole story here really quickly. And that's what he does in this, uh, in this chapter. And then um, in books eight through 13, uh, he gives uh, the laborious retelling of the whole, of the whole tale. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a funny, it's kind of a funny line, I guess, but it's, um, it's a way of sort of marking, you know, the, um, you know, the, the flow of the, uh, the, the flow of the story here. He says, Oh, that would be a great amount of work to go into detail. Well, in the next book, he's going to start going into yep. uh, that detail and tell the whole, uh, tell the whole story, mm-hmm. but you do get, this also reminds me of, um, of Beowulf, this almost like serpentine, uh, story, uh, telling a narrative, uh, pattern where the stories just, uh, they keep circling back around the story and it, it almost moves in like these, um, uh, the, these, um, uh, loops where the story moves forward, but they repeat, they go back and retell uh, what happened. And in, and in each retelling, you sometimes get more details or you get a little bit different, um, angle or color mm-hmm. on it. And so in this, in this short retelling, um, which is, a brief, a brief summary of what he's going to go into in greater detail in the next books. Uh, we do find out, you know, how long. Um, and so if you want to make a time, you know, a timeline of uh, Odysseus return trip, how long he was on Ogygia with Calypso, um, it's laid out here, how long he was in the ocean after afterwards, you know, it's, uh, it's it sort of laid out uh, here as well, but I don't know. It's, it's sort of a funny little line. It's like, Oh yeah, I'd tell you, but that would take too long. You wouldn't want to hear that. And then, uh, <laughs> Uh, no, but please hang don't on. make me tell my story for a hundred pages. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh. Actually, okay. I'll tell you. I'll tell. Okay, I'll tell you. I triple dog dare you. <laughs> um, yeah. I guess mine isn't anything to write home about. I just am fascinated by. Uh, and this is sort of a, if you're ever teaching or leading a reading group, a default question when you're stuck is who are you believing and why? Just like in real okay. life, you don't believe every like. Paul knows if I'm talking about books or if Paul's talking about books, yeah, we really like books and we read them a lot and talk about them. So not that we're expert experts, but it's what we love. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Paul knows if I'm talking to you about cars, don't listen to me. I don't know anything. If hobbits yeah. and elves, if you tell me hobbits and elves make my cars go, I'd be like, all right, awesome. Fix the hobbits and elves. <laughs> um, so I, I find that in the Odyssey, it feels similar to Hamlet in that who to believe is treacherously difficult. And the answer usually is yeah. not Odysseus, but um, hmm. Alcinous near the end, it's it's line two two eighty nine in the Emily Wilson says yeah. uh, to Odysseus, just one of those things my daughter did was not correct. She could yeah. have brought you here to us herself, escorted by her slave girls, since you had supplicated first to her. Alcinous is again going by the rules, doing the right thing. Hmm. So Odysseus, with careful tact, replied. Your daughter's quite wonderful, great king. Please do not blame her. She told me to come here with her slaves, but I was too embarrassed and nervous. Yeah. But you might get annoyed at seeing me. We humans on this earth are apt to be suspicious. So I just think of like Odysseus's first spoken words in book five are when Calypso tells him she's going to let him leave. Yeah. And he basically says, I don't believe you. You're trapping me. Right. Because of what he's been through, he's suspicious of anything that resembles good news. 
Hmm. But here I feel like that ex that hard outer shell that war has created is beginning to crumble just a little bit. I was huh. too embarrassed and nervous. That's a huh. hard thing for anybody to say. And he's saying it yeah. too straight. And yeah. then he philosophizes and, and kind of does a Hamlet. And <laughs> once it gets personal, he philosophizes. Says, oh, this is how humans are. Yes, yes. You know, whether We're it's all nobody in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows, like he just starts riffing, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I find that there's a little crack in the surface, a little, little hint of one. Yeah, um, yeah. So I just found that interesting. And the other thing is, like he's like you said, he's a, he's about to tell his long story, so right. he has to figure out a way to be open and honest and to establish credibility with people he met a few minutes ago. Yes. Yeah. You know, so maybe a little vulnerability is the way to do that. So he might even have an agenda in his vulnerability. I'm not sure. Well, it, it could be, which is back to your point of who to believe and what exactly to believe. Right. It's pretty, it's pretty tough with, I don't know. I come out trusting him in the end. And if you follow him, you know, well, I was going to say you'd get home except for all his shipmates don't make it. Home. Yeah. <laughs> None of his shipmates make it home. Um, yeah. Zero out of like 500. So yeah, they're good. Okay. Other than that, Zero percent. Yeah. <laughs> Other than that, everything's okay. Yeah. Somehow, somehow you get okay. He gets home by, yeah, by following him in the end. But, yeah. but but you never know. I don't know. I find I I guess what I'm saying the tension of I find him trustworthy, although I know that he's lying most of the time. So in this, it's a weird thing to say. But but um, you're right. I don't know if it's, you know, if it's true vulnerability. However, we will see some more moments. And, and actually in the next book, there's a, you know, a colossal moment yes. of this vulnerability, yes. but I think it's real. It's difficult to read um, yeah. as otherwise. So I, I, I think this genuineness and, and, you know, to that thing about who, who to believe, if we're wondering about how he comes across and is he believable or not, one of the things writers do do is to have other characters react to him. So if yes. we take, if we take these other characters reactions to them, they're not fools. Um, uh, they, um, they treat him respectfully. They treat him as, uh, you know, as if, as if he's genuine. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it is, it, it is a nice, it is a nice little moment. And there's a few of these in this, and there's another one in that next chapter I'm thinking of that I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about. That's just a, a beautiful little moment. Yeah. So what about lingering questions, Paul? I, I have one. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you have for a lingering? Yeah. Something well, you're wondering about. Yeah, I I wonder about and you sort of touched on this on on, on your core on the um on, on the um the the tension part. Uh the first part of that um in the beauty and the stability of of the place. It's 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 striking, you know, the description of of um the the description of the kingdom here uh where where, where the Fikians, you know, live and um, Thucydides, I looked this up, I guess Thucydides, the, the historian identified this place with Corfu, uh, which is a beautiful, which is a beautiful Island, um, off the West coast of, uh, of Greece. Not that I've been there, but, um, it, it looks like a beautiful place and, and it's described as that. Um, and so it's, it's unbelievably, uh, you know, almost perfect. It's almost too good. And in fact, after, after, um, Athena leads, uh, Odysseus, uh, through, uh, fr from the shore up to the manor house, up to the palace. Um, she, she takes off and leaves, uh, leaves Odysseus there. He just stands and stares. He just stands yeah. and stares and looks around. So, so the thing that, that, 
you know, that the story sort of points, points the camera at, makes you look at everything around, makes you look at the place. And it's, and it's fantastic and overwhelming. And then you meet the people, uh, you get a hint of what the king and queen are going to be like from Nausicaa, who's, you know, who's fantastic and possibly good. And uh, her, her parents are, are amazing as well. And so I guess my lingering question for this is that there's a juxtaposition. And you kind of said this, I think, Jay, uh, a juxtaposition of two ideal uh, locations of very different kinds. Mm. Um, one is Ojija, where Calypso, a goddess, entices Odysseus with immortality and her immortal beauty um, and, you know, you know con continuing beauty forever. Um, anything that he wants uh, for the rest of his life. And then juxtaposed right up against it is not, not immortal um, enticement or immortal beauty, but mortal, uh, the mortal version of it. This is a, a, a perfect, a utopian town uh, with, uh, you know, with, with rulers and, and, and good people who are, who are fantastically good, who love you um, uh, too. So I, I guess my lingering question is, you know, what is the meaning of this? Um, yeah. how, you know, how purposeful is this, um, to, to, to introduce Odysseus with, with, um, these two grand temptations, uh, mm. one of one by the gods and one by, and one by other humans. And in both of them, he drives, you know, he drives straight through them, um, and, and, yeah. and pushes on tactfully, but pushes on uh, through them. I think it's significant. But I also is one. It's one of those things I kind of like to let lie a little bit too, you know. Yeah, that's. I I have to think about that more. I can't help but to wonder that the palpable signs of whether a military commander and king like Odysseus are successful. The pa the palpable signs aren't will not be there, as as yeah. we just alluded to. Zero of his men survive. So, yeah. <laughs> part of me wonders whether Odysseus's somewhat new kind of heroism over time might be his resistance to these very, very real temptations that yeah. his mission yeah. uh, precedes everything else, even things that seem incredibly heavenly and enticing. Maybe that's part of a, mm. a thought attached mm. to what you're saying, but I have it's, to think about that more. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It may, and it might attach to that, that concept of, of the heroic, you know, of what's, yeah. of what's truly heroic in this about him in the and, end. And it would be very Odyssean in that his kind of, I mean, he wasn't known as a really great military man, right? He wasn't an yeah. Achilles, sir, but mm. he was a strategist. So wouldn't it make sense that his brand of heroism is one of making a thought and making a choice based on a thought? Yeah. You know, letting yeah. your, in a sense, I mean, he definitely is you know, it's not like he doesn't have passions, but I mean, he knows above and beyond everything else he needs to make it home. So like no yeah. other worldly temptation can get in the way of that. Maybe his heroism is a particular kind of virtue rather than simply I kill people really effectively. <laughs> yeah, it is different yeah. than that. I mean, he says it in this chapter and he said it before in my heart, I never gave in to Calypso Yeah, yeah. Um, in his body. He did, but in his heart, yeah. um, he, he didn't. So there was this uh, connection yeah. uh, to, to the plan, to what, to what's actually in his heart and then his ability to get it. You know, I think a lot yeah. of us feel like a difference between the life we're living maybe and what's in our heart, you know, in some ways right. like to live. And we don't feel like we can match those two up. And so you can get what's heroic about, being able yep. to, to, to realize uh, those two things, have the inside and the outside match. Um, it's, it's fantastic. And you could see, and I think we do this, how naturally what you and I are talking about 
And I don't want to, I would never want a whole class to talk about just that idea because I want to acknowledge the existence of the fact of a poem. Yeah. But you can see how easily these very real things that kids think about can be inspired mm. to be thought about by reading this. Hmm. In other words, like, do, do my insides and outsides match? Do yeah. what I say I want and what I do match? Yes. Like, I want to be a really good student and get all A's. Do I behave that way? Like, yeah. I want people to think this of me. Do I? Be so you could just, this book is just such a wonderful conduit for really important conversations for young people. So it, I think it, it is. And, and I think it's, it's kind of, you know, it's done a lot now where um, students talk about identity in lots of different ways. Yeah. And um, I don't think all of our identity talk is all that, you know, is all that penetrating. A lot of times it's just, you know, like a lot of things in, in school, it's kind of made for kids, but this, th this isn't, you know, this invites yeah. you into whatever discussion about identity you want. And I think you can go about as far yeah. as you'd like to go with yep. this, because it's on the table, you know, here yeah. in, you know, in really important ways. It's not trying to skirt it um, right. at all. So if you are trying to figure out, you know, if you're trying to connect with students, you know, this is a, this is a, a really powerful way to do it. Telemachus yeah. is completely on the table, you know, and even old man Odysseus, you know, yep. I mean, still, you know, still on the bubble uh, here throughout, uh, throughout the story, right up until the end, till it's, till it's sort of locked in. So, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. It's a nice, you know, it offers some nice things like that. Yeah. My, my lingering question is very politically right. correct. And I did that in honor of you. Oh, good, good. Because I know. <laughs> I require that. Kelly, he's nothing if not politically correct. Um, <laughs> I am actually fascinated by the role of women in this passage. So hear me out. Okay. Uh, okay. Any teacher, Paul and I will tell you, we spend and have spent an inordinate amount of time yeah. wrestling with the notion of representation in any reading mm -hmm. curriculum. And to be honest, right. that's right. not really crazy because yeah. any reader of imaginative literature will tell you that it's good to both see ourselves and what we read. Mm -hmm. We've done this today with the Odyssey mm -hmm. and right. entire enter like very new spaces as well. You want to meet complete strangers and yourself all the time. Yes. Yes. Um, and really often traditionally canonical texts like the Odyssey are put into these like superficially designated like patriarchal boxes or white right. male boxes or whatever. And I think book yeah, yeah. seven reminds us that this is a really complicated text and it's complicated in a mm -hmm. lot of ways. And one of the ways it's complicated is in terms of gender. Now, I don't think it's a woke 2023 enlightened in terms of gender text. However, right. issue of power relationships in the Odyssey is really complicated. So mm -hmm. the world of, of 3000 years ago, it isn't a place any of us should ever want to live in ever. But even as a rich person, like anybody with a conscience would have a hard time lasting a couple of days after the first feast. I like the first right. feast. The wine's <laughs> probably good. The barbecue, amazing. Although it seems right. like they overcooked their meat, but that's a separate podcast. Um, burnt thigh bones. I have no interest in yeah, that. Yeah, I don't know. What is the deal with that? What's the, that's a whole separate, we need to have people. Guy Fieri <laughs> needs to be a guest. But anyway, um, I think Homer presents us with a much more nuanced world. Yeah. That we have earlier uh or or should i say later we're going to meet like characters like Xerxes and and we met calypso yes um, there are three main there are several women who help odysseus at the key times of his journey arete nausicaa Xerxes, calypso yes um, 
we have a female god advising and then shielding Odysseus and Mist, a queen right. holding the main influence in the kingdom, told very explicitly, like, don't go to my dad, go to my mom. Right. I mean, in any neighborhood you grew up in, you know, you can you could aggravate dads and you get over it quickly. But if you upset someone's mom, the lights went out bad. Yeah, you're cut off. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That I mean, that's just a human reality. Sorry. Mm -hmm. So I'm cool with saying Odysseus is the complicated hero of the poem, but I think book seven shows that like uh all, of all the poems, really complicated, influential, and nuanced characters, I would say most of them are women. Yeah. I mean, one of them is Odysseus, clearly. But the women are kind of interesting. So I just this yeah, is why I don't like whitewashing the yeah. Odyssey under the adjective patriarchal or under the adjective canonical or under the adjective, you know, not woke or whatever. Yeah. I think it's a really complicated book that honors its own complexity. And that includes in terms of gender. Oh my goodness. I mean, and I would put at the top of the list, Penelope, Penelope, yeah. Penelope. I mean, Penelope and Odysseus are not just married. They're not simply spouses. Mm. They are a pair. I mean, she is, she is, I, I've, I've presented, and this is getting way ahead of ourselves and we'll talk about this when we get there, but I think she might be the only one who's a match for Odysseus in the end. Yeah. And that might sound like, unbelievable or something but wait till we get yep. there and see what she does um right she's fantastically complex and part of her complexity is that in a way she's kind of absent you 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 vastly underestimate her um, yes. throughout the entire book while being told through the whole book don't underestimate through the story of Ag agamemnon who mm -hmm. underestimates his own wife and, yeah. and pays the ultimate price for it yeah. um don't underestimate her and, and and it's funny as a reader you will do it you know you'll do it the first five times you read this book if someone doesn't point it out to you um and so i i totally agree and and i think there's i think there's something for us in here you know to look again and not again to pay attention pay pay more close attention um the relationships between males and females that are rep actually represented in these books are, are really different than you know sort of a a swipe you might take this uh, at, at this at this book um, yeah, there's, there's way more to it. And I think it, it probably, and I, I'm guessing I'm, I'm not an expert, but I, but I think it's probably more reflective of reality in that. I don't know if the human race would have survived yeah. if men and women did not figure out how to work together, to collaborate together, sure. to stave off as, as Odysseus says, the pain and the suffering of life. You know, I don't think we would, you know, we, we would be here if, if one, um, if one sex set themselves up, you know, to rule the other, I just don't think it would work. Um, yeah. And I, th I think connecting to that, that's a good point. I think it was the previous chapter where you have this beautiful girl who clearly likes Odysseus and Odysseus yeah. on the beach kind of needing the beautiful girl to get him to right. the next step. Um, but Odysseus saying there is nothing like basically telling her, I'm not your guy, but saying, I really want this for you. There's nothing better than a man, when a man and a woman have one mind, homo sophrine. That, yeah. That's Odysseus's way of saying, I think what you just said, which is I need to get home to my wife with whom I have that. Yes. And yeah. Anybody that like <laughs> anybody that puts this book in that sort of patriarchal box, is it, is it, you know, 3000 years old and it's going to have some things that make certain people uncomfortable. Yes. Well, it should, because a lot of innocent people die in this book. So that yeah. should make you really uncomfortable. Actually. Right. That's before sad. Any, That's before awful. any gender politics make you uncomfortable, innocent dead people should make you uncomfortable. Right. 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 But I think there's a lot of just really surprising moments where women have incredible agency. I would also say Eurycleia is in that group, a literal piece <laughs> of property. 
right. who's in that group who says incredibly gutsy things to people that literally own her. Like she's right. a microwave oven or a car. Like, right. So I don't know. This book is full of these like really surprising power dynamics. It's and, and not. She's way more. And, and she's in the middle of that. You know, she is. Yeah. She's way more than that. She's way more. Again, that, that gloss of yes, people are, you know, people are, are, are owned in this, in this book, like you're a clay, but that is not the sum total of her story either. Right. Right. It's just not, I mean, listen that's to not her. Just you and I talking, that's Homer writing that. Yes, that's exactly right. right. That's exactly, you know? exactly right. So it makes you take another look, you know, mm -hmm. at that and, and at her and, and, and at her story. And it doesn't let you off so easily, I think is, is another way of putting it. Mm -hmm. Um, you're not let off the hook uh, that easily, uh, to yeah. just, to just say, oh, we just have a slave, uh, over here or, oh, we have, a. A, a, a woman here. She's just, she's just sewing. You know, they, they say the, um, the, the, you know, the Phoenician women are good at, at, at sewing or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Great. But, but that's not the full story. Look at the queen who judges. I mean, she's said to be, uh, to be wise. She judges and, and sorts out all the problems in the kingdom. Yeah. She's the one who has the reliable, the reliable exactly. wisdom. I mean, the men, the men make the boats, but I don't know. They're just boat builders. That's not, that's not exactly, right. you know, it's set the world on fire. I think it's incredibly dangerous to look at Penelope and the rest of the women as a bunch of glorified ancient Greek June cleavers. <laughs> I think it's really, I think it's a misreading. Yes. Well it's said. Lovely, it's a lovely toga, Mrs. Cleaver. <laughs> well, thank you, Eddie. <laughs> lovely All right, toga. So I, I hope someone who's at least 75 is watching this because this, this moment is for you. <laughs> yes. No, it's true. It's true. You can't bring, you can't bring our contemporary, you know, endless no. battles over this stuff and it's fine. No. Every culture does it, I'm sure, but you can't bring that and impose that uh, yeah. back, back on this past story and really do justice. You can learn a whole lot more um, by, by, by opening yourself up. And I think that's, that's the thing we're, yeah. we're, that's the thing. Those are the kinds of books we, you know, I know you and I like best are the ones that give us those opportunities, you know, to really challenge our students, like you said, to meet something you recognize and then meet something you don't recognize um, at all. And maybe something that surprises you a ton because you think, you know, it, you think you're meeting, you know, the cleavers and it's just, you know, it's just not. And in yeah. Clyde Mester's case, it's a whole different cleaver. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's good, Paul. <laughs> you like that? Yeah. yeah. It's good. <laughs> Well, all right. Uh, that might be uh, that might be a good a good note to end on. Does that does that cover it, Jay? Is that enough? It's a good point to cut off our conversation, Paul. <laughs> chop chop. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, that was that was really nice. Um, that's uh, what's the chapter title in the Emily Wilson's uh, translation there for book seven? Yeah, a magical kingdom. Wow. When you wish upon a star. <laughs> a magical kingdom. Come on, Emily. I don't know if I like that. This one is uh, weird. Gardens and firelight. Um, strange two things to choose, I suppose. I mean, it is interesting to have this lighting system, you know, throughout yeah. throughout the kingdom, a little pine pitch. And then there is a beautiful big acreage, you know, of gardens yep. or whatever. But I don't know. Anyway, next chapter I've got is called Songs of the Harper. Songs of the Harper, uh, book yeah, eight. That's interesting. Uh, mine is Songs of a Poet, which is yeah, somewhat yeah. of a... An effortless title, like yeah, that's yeah. what it is, literally. Right, right. I'm that that's I, I am fascinated by book eight. Love book really? eight. Yeah, really. Yeah. Okay. Book nine, books nine to twelve get all the ink, but book eight is some important stuff in there. I think. 
there are some memorable moments in it and yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to going through this. All right. So join us again. We'll get, uh, we'll get episode uh, for book eight uh, out here soon, but this is book seven, a good walkthrough, an important book. Don't skip it. Don't skip it. Read through it um, with your students. Um, listen yeah. to them. Talk about it too. make them read it and then listen to them. Talk about it and see if you both aren't drawn into it uh, more and more like Jay, like Jay and I have been. Mm. All right. Um, thanks Jay. I appreciate it. Thanks Paul. Yeah, yeah. See you next time.